And so the skill then that we're trying to develop in the students is this fluency with asking questions to get ideas. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, we're about to turn the page from November to December, and for many of us, that means celebrating holidays. But here at IEW, it also means we're starting on... Unit 5. That's right, Unit 5. So, why two months for this unit? Is it that hard? I don't think it's the unit that's hard. It's just the season that's hard because people get so busy running here, doing this, visiting, taking time off. The holiday just seems to... I I figure if you get one good month out of December and January combined, you're probably doing well. So you can schedule it that way if you want to go a little faster. Or if you don't do holidays, just charge through and finish sooner or have more time for Unit 7, 8, 9 and all that literature stuff at the end. But (laughs) we, uh, we pace it that way, you know, Unit 5, December, January. So before we go any further into some of the tips and tricks that you can give our listeners about how... To teach Unit 5, I, I'd like to mention that we have done for years webinars that you go into great detail for a, a refresher course on Unit 5, which of course is based on our teaching, writing, structure, and style teacher training course. So this is an abridged version of an abridged version <laughs> of your teaching. <laughs> and we point people back. Yes. To the original classics. Yes. But those webinars also have PowerPoint slides, and those are available online. Right. Exactly. Okay. So we can just have a little fun and talk about Unit 5. Exactly. We don't have to teach everyone how to do it. They should already know or get inspired to go learn. Exactly right. Okay. Good. So when I think of Unit 5, it's writing from pictures. We now no longer have any written source text. It's just a series of pictures. My first question that I'm thinking our listeners might have, is this kind of babyish? Just writing about pictures? Well, as I say in the uh, first section of the teaching writing section style, I, I think it's very much an important step in the process of the nine units. Because if you think about it, unit one and two, it's just dictated content. It's almost line for line. And then in unit three, generally you're retelling, in some cases shortening, longer stories. So you're not using every line. Unit four, of course, that's clearly summarizing where you take some of it but not all of it. However, we... We have to go to the place where it's just you and your brain and whatever you carry around it. And we called that creative writing. We call it now inventive writing. And that's in Unit 7. That's Unit 7. So this Unit 5 kind of holds an important spot, I think, in the development of the thinking skills from Unit 2 to 3 
to seven, five is in the middle. You don't get a story per se, but you're not completely alone. There's a set of pictures and a methodology of thinking about those pictures, describing the events contained therein. Uh, it can be a festive, silly, childlike enjoyment of imaginative writing, but I think there's a more underlying significant purpose, and that is learning how to look at a situation and ask some questions and find some content. So you know, that's where we are in the middle of from where we started, which to many people looks overly simplistic, but then when they try it with kids, even high school students, they discover the value. And where we want to go with Unit 7 and 8 and the more sophisticated inventive and essay writing. Mm -hmm. Good. So for our listeners that may not be familiar with Unit 5, can you just <laughs> take that two-hour seminar and condense it down into a couple minutes? Well, it's uh, in its basic form, it's a three-paragraph model. And the beginning idea that as we teach it is you have three pictures and three paragraphs. So each paragraph corresponds with a picture. We have introduced the idea of topic clincher in Unit 4. So we want to keep going with that, keep practicing that so that it gets reinforced and easier and easier, more natural. The rule we introduced in Unit 4 is that the topic sentence and the clincher sentence must repeat or reflect two to three key words. And that's a very, very effective tool. One of, one of the real gems of the structure and style approach, if, if you just do that, you'll seem more organized and intelligent just almost instantly. Mm -hmm. So we introduced that in Unit 4 with the topic-based paragraph summarizing references. And now in Unit 5, we want to continue that. So even though we don't have a subject with divisions like topics as we will in units four, six, seven, and eight, we want to practice the rule. So we assign the topic sentence the job of, of saying the, the basic fact, the central fact of the picture. You know, so what do you see? A boy sitting in a tree. Okay, so there's a boy sitting in a tree. So your topic sentence would reflect what you see in the picture. Then the next picture would be a different scene, probably something relating to that boy or that tree. And then the third picture would be a different picture, probably somehow relating to that as well. And so maybe the second picture has the boy flying through the air, and then the third picture has the boy standing on the chimney of a house. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's kind of fantastical. But who of us has not dreamed and, or imagined as a child of being able to fly, perhaps? Okay, so then you would, you would identify the central fact of the picture, put those words in the topic sentence slot in the outline, and then, of course, you've got to write a whole paragraph about that boy in that tree and come up with the backstory who is this boy? Where did he come from? How did he get in the tree? Give him a name. Give him some history. Maybe he found a magic potion. There's going to be all sorts of possibilities there. And so the skill then 
that we're trying to develop in the students is this fluency with asking questions to get ideas. Mm -hmm. As I've said before, I, I would have done very badly with this particular type of writing. I, honestly, I still struggle with it a little bit. But when I was, you know, a kid, uh, if you showed me a picture of a guy, you know, in a tree, I would have said, there is a guy in a tree. And I, I wouldn't have had any possible way to imagine stuff, to think of stuff. To, I, didn't, I didn't know how to think. Thinking would just happen. And if it didn't happen... Well, then what do you do? You just sit around and wait, and then that becomes very frustrating and all that. Mm -hmm. So one of the great, great things that you know I and so many other people have learned from working with the structure and style syllabus over the decades is actually how to think better. Mm -hmm. So now I see a guy in a tree. I can, who is this guy? Where did he come from? What is he thinking, feeling, doing? When did he get in the tree? Why is he in the tree? How, how is he going to deal with whatever's coming? Is there anything outside the picture? Is there anything invisible in the picture? And so these questions are basic tools for invention, tools for finding ideas. That is what I find now most interesting about the Unit 5 is that power to start that process of unlocking what we might call creativity or creative thinking. But for me, it's, it's more like just find something. You can't create something from nothing. You can't force yourself to think a thought you can't think. You just have to find an idea. And, of course, the more ideas you carry around, the easier it will be to find something. Right. So do you find that, I know you've kind of alluded to this already, but have you found yourself ever stumped when you see a series of pictures only to go into a class of kids and they completely understand what is happening in these pictures? Oh, kids are so much better. Uh, I am just old and crusty, <laughs> and I don't operate well outside the rules of logic and reality <laughs> and common sense and physics. Kids are just not—they're still in that wild and crazy, fantastical, imaginative world where, you know, dragons can play hide-and-seek and mouses can develop relationships with whales mm -hmm. and— superpowers can exist. And, you know, I, I listen to that and I just think, oh, I'm just imaginatively impoverished here in my <laughs> old age. What do I need to do? <laughs> Practice more unit fives on myself. <laughs> Maybe. But I, I was thinking, even as you were describing this, I think this is probably a unit where the classroom teacher has a leg up. Oh, yeah. I think if you can teach Unit 5 with a small group at least, or even a slightly larger group, then one kid will have an idea and another one will kind of play off that and, and then someone will get a variation on that and you get all sorts of kind of combination and permutation of ideas stirred up and then they float around in the air and then different people can grab those and then change them even more. So definitely teaching Unit 5 is easier with a group. So, you know, in a classroom, you got built-in 
built-in group, and it is, as I've used the term you know, before, kind of a Robin Hood style. Some have the richer imagination with the verbal facility to articulate that. Others are kind of the quiet type that wouldn't necessarily think or say it, but they can you know, grab on. So you can steal from the rich and give to the poor, but nobody's really losing. Everybody's gaining. In a home environment where you're trying to do this uh, with kids, I think it's also a case where you could have the help of younger and older siblings. Mm -hmm. So possibly you have this Unit 5 assignment from maybe one of our our theme-based writing books or something, whatever you're using, and uh, you're doing it with a sixth-grade student, but you've got handy— two or three other kids of any age. Mm -hmm. Could be a high school senior, could be a Mm six-year-old, right? They could participate in the conversation, helping to think of some possibilities, get the outline on the whiteboard at home. Okay, and then that's going to be a richer experience for everyone. But uh, yes, I would say Unit 5 is one of those ones that works especially well in a widely mixed age or ability group because you don't have a source text to have to read. Mm -hmm. So the reading level is no longer a real issue. And the level of sophistication of ideas is very flexible. It's not like you have detailed facts about a person or an event that you may or may not be able to understand and recall very easily. No, this is pure imagination and freedom. A lot of kids love that. They Mm -hmm. really like the imagination freedom. A lot of them don't like it as well. They'd, they'd be happier. Just give me my books and let me copy some facts into keyword outlines. That's safe, you know. Great. Uh, so that's why this is a good unit for everyone. It is, yes. And when you say it's a good unit for everyone, I'm inclined to ask you about the time that you didn't teach this unit and the consequences. Oh, yes. Well, um, the first uh, couple years after I was trained, you know, in Gerard with Dr. Webster. I learned the system. I came back and I was teaching these little classes and there were no materials like we have now. Mm-hmm. Good heavens, <laughs> all the theme-based books and flushed out lesson plans for teachers. And uh, there was really nothing except the few source texts and things that were in Webster's original book. I just didn't really like personally, the the fiction side of it. You know, I did Unit 3 because well, I kind of have to, but I didn't spend much time there. I wanted to get over to reports, you mm-hmm. know. And then I thought, Unit 5 is kind of dumb. They're <laughs> writing from pictures. You know, these are middle school students, so I need to, you know, get academically rigorous with them so their parents get their money worth, you know. So I, I skipped Unit 5, went to Unit 6, did a little bit of Unit 7, but not in a not in a wild way, more just, you know. My dog. Yeah, from Mm -hmm. your experience. Mm -hmm. I I didn't have an encouragement for people to get imaginative with Unit 7. And then I got to Unit 8, which is my real goal, was to say, okay, let's get to essays. So I I did my best uh, with Unit 8, and then I, uh, I copied off many of the student papers, and I took them that next summer up to Gruard, and showed them to Dr. Webster, and he looked over them, and uh, he pointed out uh, some of the good points. So, dress-up's good, opener's good, topic lunch are good, but conclusion to the essay, 
lousy. Doesn't mm. say anything. Mm. Next paper. Dries up. Good. Opener. Okay. Topic clincher. Good. Title. Ah, conclusion to the essay. Stinks. Next one. Conclusion. Lousy. Mm. These don't say anything. These students aren't saying anything. Mm. And it took me, I think, several years to put put the pieces together, but I finally did realize that in an essay, we're really asking students to add an opinion about the information they've collected up, which requires them to say what they think about that information. Well, how do you think about information? How do you think about anything? And I kind of realized that the brilliance of this system is that the the odd-numbered units, three, stories, five, pictures, seven, inventive writing, that teaches the questions, the, the thinking skills, the ability to have a story, ask questions about it, have pictures or a situation, ask questions about it, use questions to draw what you think out of your head. And then the units two, four, six, four and six, you know, mostly are how to collect up and organize ideas. So putting those together in unit seven, you got to collect up and organize and tell what you think about that. So by by skipping unit five, I was giving short shrift to the development of those thinking skills. And and since I've come to realize, you know, what what's what is life? Situations. Right. Right? It's it's all just situations. And and so to look at a picture, even a silly one, and be able to ask questions and think about it, that's the same skill to look at a situation in the world. Mm. And ask questions and think about it. Hmm. And some people are naturally better at it than others, but everybody can learn to be better at it by practicing. Absolutely. You know, it's it's just a funny thing. We don't consider thinking as a skill to be developed the way we might consider music mm-hmm. or art mm-hmm. or penmanship or whatever. But but you get better by practicing. So how many of us wake up and say, how am I going to practice my thinking skills today? Right. Mm-hmm. Mostly just wake up and say, how am I going to get through this day <laughs> and deal with all the things that come? And so we're very reflexive. We're not organized in practicing and training ourselves. And, you know, I've been at this, well, almost, what, 25 years? And... Every time I go teach a class on, you know, inventive writing or the Unit 5 or the high school essay intensive with the tools of invention, I I practice in the process of teaching it and I actually feel like I'm getting better. Mm -hmm. You know, I can just give me anything and I can whip out an outline (laughs) It may not be good, but at least there's the fluency, right? Whereas I look at, you know, even sometimes the parents that will sit in the classes that I teach with kids, and they're just stumped. They're just staring at that blank paper. They got a topic sentence and one one line of three key words, and they're there for 10 minutes. And I thought that would have been me 20 years ago. Right. So it, it is something we can all practice and learn. So let me ask you to speak to the listener who's familiar with our syllabus, maybe has gone through the training once. They're not really clear on the difference between a unit three and a unit five. 
Yeah, so there is a, sometimes a bit of confusion. Unit three, each paragraph has a different purpose. The first paragraph is basically the exposition, the characters and setting, telling what's going, this the situation. And this, you're asking specific questions that yes. are when and who, who and where. Yeah, who, where, when for that first paragraph. The second paragraph is basically telling the problem or conflict. So we assign the question, what? What is the one or need? What is the problem? What do the characters think? What do they say? What do they do? The, the aspects of that, what? That helps build the plot and the action. And then in the third paragraph, because we have the climax and resolution, we assign the question, how? And then the, the kind of invisible question is, why have this story? What type of message, moral lesson, is theme is being presented here? So we have those questions, who, when, where, what, how, and why, assigned to different paragraphs. And each paragraph has a different job. In Unit 5, we don't have to worry about that. Every paragraph has the same job, and that is to describe the picture that is attached to that paragraph. So three pictures, three paragraphs, and all the questions are available. Who, what, where, why, when, how, outside, inside, but invisible. But you don't have to do all the questions. Oh, no. The, the trick of the questions is you ask one, and if it gets you some answer out of your mind, it worked. Use that <laughs> info. If you ask a question and you still feel blank, don't worry. Just try a different question. And sometimes you could fill up the whole paragraph with one question, you know, five times. What is he thinking? What else 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 is he? <laughs> just go seven things in, in the paragraph could just be what he's thinking. Right. <laughs> and that would be perfectly legit, perfectly valid. Great. So I'm now an experienced IEW teacher. I've been doing series of pictures for, you know, many years. You taught through a couple of theme-based books. I have the classroom supplement lesson plans because I'm a classroom teacher. I just have lots of these three picture sets. How can I switch it up a little bit, make it just unique to me? I'm well, getting a little bored with all these pictures. <laughs> well, um, one way to really throw a wrench into the business is let the kids draw their own pictures. Hmm. First time I tried that, it was because I hadn't prepared anything and I didn't know what to do and I had all these kids showing up. And I thought, well, okay, I don't have any pictures. I said, you got 10 minutes, draw some pictures. Nice. And, you know, some kids are like, I can't draw. Okay, just stick people. It's fine, <laughs> just anything. And then I, I had him trade the pictures. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting to everyone was that the person who wrote, you know, the composition from someone else's pictures really had a completely different concept, totally different idea, storyline, whatever, than the person who created the pictures. Mm -hmm. So I tried that then again sometime after that, only I said homework is to draw three pictures. And then when they brought their pictures in, I made them trade and they didn't want to. They're like, these are my pictures. I spent hours right. on these pictures. I don't want to trade. Okay, mm -hmm. fine. It's just an idea. <laughs> and so um, that, that kind of opens up a, a whole new world of possibility. I do think that one way to refine this unit from kind of the silly comic book type of pictures in response you might get 
is to move into, say, some famous paintings or some pictures that represent historical scenes. Now Washington you, ca- crossing Washington the crossing the Delaware or Norman Rockwell mm-hmm. paintings are good. There's so much. But, of course, the problem is, in that case, there aren't usually three in a sequence. Mm-hmm. Rockwell has a few that have two or three in a sequence. Uh, but then you can use the trick of the missing picture. So if you have two good pictures, you can, you know, use the first one for the first paragraph, say— And the second one for the third paragraph, and then you say to the kids, if there were a picture in the middle here, what would you imagine it to be? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't do this as a first assignment, but, you know, I think it works because then they have to kind of imagine the scene. So I kind of like that Rockwell one with the kids in the car all happy with the fishing pole and all the camping stuff, and they're facing forward and smiling. And then the next picture is they're all, like, exhausted and the junk is all over the place and they're just falling, head flopping on the way back. Well, what would be, you know, what would be the scene in the middle? Right. (laughs) You know, if you had just one picture, you could do the same thing. Make the one picture one paragraph could be the first and then you imagine the two after it or it could be the middle and you imagine a scene before and a scene after or it could be the third and you could imagine two scenes before it. In our seminar workbook, in the Mm -hmm. TWSS workbook, I think one of the best student compositions that I have ever read, Mm -hmm. especially a Unit 5 composition, and this was of course, you know, a very advanced student. But it's so worth reading. It's just beautiful because it was that Norman Rockwell picture of the teacher with the apple on the desk and the blackboard, you know, happy birthday, Mrs. whatever her name was, and kids in the room and, you know, that kind of early 90s style. The student who wrote that did a magnificent job of imagining the first picture, which was the teacher kind of kind of sad, lonely, distressed, her backstory, how she sacrificed to raise her her younger siblings and never got married, and now she lives in this tiny little place on this tiny little salary. And then in the next picture, she, the student describes the students, you know, seek, sneaking in and decorating the room. And then the third picture is the one you mm-hmm, see. Mm-hmm. And that is just such a, a, a marvelous use mm-hmm. of a great painting a kind of heart-touching scenario that could happen for real in the world. And, of course, the student having so many years of structure and style experience, the the language is magnificent. So I think that's a great one to model, you know, especially if you're working with advanced students or high school kids or something. Great. Well, our time is all up. Oh, shoot. If we had just like maybe one more minute, I would ask you to tell the story of how Dr. Webster <laughs> came up with this unit. Yes. Well, in the in the old, old days, Dr. Webster, before he was doctor, was Mr. Webster, and he was teaching. He taught almost every grade level, oftentimes mixed grade classrooms. But if his memory serves correctly— The way I recorded it as he was telling it to me, he was teaching a middle school, and uh, one of the big behavior problems in middle school in those days was 
the smuggling into school of contraband material, mm. comic books, oh, right. which were not allowed. <laughs> and so his job as, you know, teacher was to confiscate the comic books so that the students couldn't sit in the back of the room and hide the comic book inside a school book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he gradually acquired a nice stack of comic books. But he thought, you know, if the kids like these things, well, why not have them write about it? So he just got out some scissors and cut a few pictures out of a few comic books and pasted them onto paper and and handed them back out to the kids and say, here, there's, write some stories. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure that his method of teaching it was refined over time, but it, it's kind of interesting that that how he got that idea, thinking, well, if that's what they like, that's what we'll give them. <laughs> and I'm sure they love that, especially those that got their comic books back, or at least a piece of it, right? My guess is that he was probably a very loved curmudgeon teacher. <laughs> right. So Unit 5, great for special needs kids, great oh, for yeah. those for English language learners, kind of great for everyone. Oh, we've had a lot of good feedback from the because ELL and ESL, they use pictures anyway, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's part of their whole methodology to try and, you know, get more fluency with the vocabulary that the kids know, and even adults. So, yes, this fits in extremely well there. And again, I would just, you know, say, especially if you just happen to be in, you know, a person like me and you've got kids who aren't immediately imaginative with this, you know, look at the samples in the book, talk about it, and help them as much as needed. If it, it, There's no law that says someone has to make this whole outline all by themselves. Right. Uh, all the assignments in Unit 5 can be group work if that's what it takes to help people be successful. And then next year, you come to it again, it'll be a little easier, and the next year, even easier. Right. And that's what our, what our goal is, is to be able to help these teachers and teaching parents with what they need to be successful as well. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>